uh, thank you for coming and uh, trusting that the Lord will bless this time. I've been telling everyone that if, if Lisa and I say anything that might cause you to forget what Sandy has said, I would encourage you to leave. Just whatever Sandy said, that's what was right. So just make sure if, if anything contradiction happens, then you don't want to hear that. Uh, my name is Mark Randall. This is my wife, Lisa Randall. Uh, we know most of y'all. Uh, if you're from the downtown uh, site, we, we probably don't know you as well, but uh, we're excited to be part of this conference and the seminar. I assure you, we are not experts in marriage. Uh, we're on a journey, and it's, it's been a good journey, but it's been a journey. And we're going to share really just some of, some of our experiences, some of our stories, and some of the principles that we've learned along the way. So I'm, I'm not going to take a passage and teach that. Uh, you all know the passages. Uh, we're just going to share some of the stuff that, that has been good in our life uh, that the Lord has used, that the Lord has helped us with. And I, and I hope that this will build upon what Sandy uh, has already done, the foundation that, that he has laid. Um, so I, I'm going to give a little bit of content, and Lisa will give a little bit of color. Uh, and she will share some of, some of our stories and uh, that sort of thing. So first, let me pray, and that's that the Lord will bless our time. David Hammer, is this working right? Good? Okay. All right, let's pray, and that's that the Lord will bless uh, this morning. Lord, we do thank you again uh, for what you've been doing throughout this weekend. Uh, we thank you for Sandy Wilson. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit, which lives inside of us. And Lord, I just pray now as we talk about this subject, uh, Lord, th- this, this is difficult. Uh, the people are all over the map this morning and uh, with our marriages, and, and, and we are here because we want to draw closer to you and to our spouse. Uh, so I pray uh, that you will bless that. And uh, just ask that, that you will make this time worthwhile and that Christ will be exalted and it will be good for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I, I'm going to be mentioning like five different things in just a second. But before I do that, uh, Lisa and I got married in 1994. I'm going to mention, uh, I just want to give you some of the resources that have been good for us. Um, there's a conference, a handful of books, and then a relationship. First, uh, if you're not familiar with something called the Family Life Marriage Conferences, uh, this is a ministry of Family Life Today. They have this thing called a weekend getaway. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with that, I would encourage you to Google it and consider doing it. Uh, Lisa and I have been to, I think, five or six of these over the years. We went when we were engaged, and then we went every couple of years after that for a while. We went again a couple of years ago. So much of what we know about marriage, we got there. Uh, it's not a reform thing. It's not a PCA thing. It is a, a evangelical Christian thing about just biblical principles of marriage. Uh, it's not cheap, but man, it is really, really, really worthwhile. So family life, uh, weekend to remember conferences. It, there's usually one in Louisville every year. Uh, I'm a huge believer and uh, I've benefited greatly from that. Some of the books that have greatly affected us, uh, obviously Keller's Meaning of Marriage, most of you are familiar with that, and it really is that phenomenal. Uh, you know, when I read that for the first time, I remember just the highlight for me was the repeated theme that when, when sometimes I might be tempted to think that Lisa is nagging me about something, that actually means that she is for me more than anyone else, so maybe I should listen to her. Uh, so big believer in that. But there's a book written back in the early 90s uh, called Intimate Allies by Dan Allender. That is just pure gold. I would 
so encourage you to read that. And then another author that has greatly affected us, and again, this is from the 80s and the 90s, is a guy named Larry Crabb. If you're familiar with Larry Crabb and his ministry, but he wrote a book called Enjoying the Differences with Men and Women. And it's really about how selfish we really are. Uh, I brought into our marriage the spiritual gift of selfishness. And it's been fun for the Lord and Lisa to see that fall apart in my life. Um, But then there was also a little book. This is from the 80s, maybe even the 70s, by a guy named Gary Smalley. And I don't know if Gary Smalley is even still alive. But he wrote a book called If Only He Knew. And it's for husbands. And it's like, if only he knew. And then for the wife, the sequel was for better or for best. And both of those were just huge in our lives as an early point. There, there's so many books out there. They're all good. I would just encourage you to be a student and read and learn and all, all of that. But the, the last thing I would say, there's been a big conference in our life, books that we've read. But honestly, Nate and Cynthia Jones have coached us. Uh, they introduced us. They discipled us. Cynthia led Lisa to Christ. But we're just part of Nate and Cynthia's life and ministry. Uh, so I, I don't know if you all have relationships of people that you open up to and allow someone to coach you. It doesn't matter who it is, as long as they are godly and they are wise and they love you and they're willing to enter into your mess, it's a good thing. So when I think about all of that, of my years of ministry, our years in marriage, of what we've experienced, a lot of different things have shaped us. So that, that's what, what I'm going to talk about this morning. They're, they're, we're not going to answer every question about marriage in 45 minutes. But I do want to just share some stuff about our experiences. So I, I'm going to give you five different areas that, that as we have prayed and thought and studied, if, if I could boil uh, our marriage down to a few different things that uh, has been good for us and hope that that will be helpful for you. So, uh, number one. Marriage is directly connected to your spiritual life, and therefore it requires God's grace. Marriage is directly connected to your spiritual life, requiring God's grace. Our big picture here, the enjoyment of marriage is revealed by relational intimacy. Relational intimacy, not just physical, but the whole person. And this is directly connected to our relationship with the Lord. That is, I have never seen someone who completely ignores his or her marriage, also simultaneously have this great walk with Jesus. The two just don't go like that. Uh, The whole purpose of marriage in the illustration from Ephesians chapter 5 and the reason that God gave us marriage, it only makes sense that our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with our spouses are in some mysterious way interconnected. That's what the whole purpose of Jesus being our husband is about. So how is this done? Uh, you got to see that you are a prime conduit of God's grace for your spouse. Again, Sandy has said things like this throughout the weekend. But think for a second about your spiritual health and how it relates to your marriage. For We're Christians, right? So knowing that your spouse as a human being, his or her greatest need is to have fellowship with Jesus. That's your spouse's greatest need more than anything else. So your starting point every single day of your marriage is to do everything that you can possibly do for your husband or for your wife to fall more in love with the Lord. That's your highest calling. That's what life is about. So marriage must fit underneath that umbrella. Men, you need to have as your chief calling not to disciple your wife necessarily. 
but to help create a space where her discipleship is your greatest desire. The greatest desire that you can ever have for your spouse is for them to fall more in love with Christ. This comes above all of your other callings, all of them. Men, your wife needs another man more than you. She needs Jesus, and you're the same way. Uh, so will you dedicate whatever it takes so that your spouse is positioned to fall more in love with Christ? Uh, so how do, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? You know, here, here's something that has been good for me and not easy for me. Will you let your spouse identify your idols? Because they know what they are. Uh, he or she will typically be more than willing to help you identify those areas of your life in which you need to repent. It's usually not a long discussion if you give him or her permission to do that. Uh, So receive help from your spouse about your walk with the Lord by identifying those areas of your life in which you need to repent. Truthfully, look at your spouse as the one person on earth who wants the very best for you. So you've got to give your spouse permission to do that. So the day that you said, I do, even before that really... You became part of someone else's sanctification. You're part of that story. You're now maybe the prime person in the story and the work of sanctification. Um, Lisa has pointed out my struggles with anxiety for years. She is painfully aware of all of it. She sees it coming long before I do. And she can help me with that if I'm willing to receive her help. Uh, What Sandy just said about parenting, if evangelicals got to quit worrying more, I'm like... He's right. He's totally right. That's what I need to say. Um, you want to comment on that one? All right. Now for the, the color portion of our story. No, I would just say, um, in pointing out, it's always good to do it in love. Sandy said something yesterday during our in-service, and he said, you need to be firm and gentle at the same time. And so sometimes I'll say, sweetie, I think your stomach ache is really, you're just nervous about something. No, it's not. I think I'm getting sick. I'm like, Okay. So I'll make him a glass of water, hot tea, whatever it is. Make him think he's getting sick. We'll take care of it. And then after the speaking thing or whatever, his stomach doesn't hurt anymore. And this happens time and time and time again. So there is one illustration. But what he's done for me, and if you know me well, you probably know this. And I want to flare up and think this is ridiculous, but he'll say, sweetheart, you react. You need to quit reacting. And the first thing that comes out of your mouth is not true. And so that was kind of the joke at the house whenever I would be with the kids. Never believe the first thing that comes out of your mother's mouth. And so I got very angry and I wanted to react to that. And over the years, (laughs) I realized, oh, ouch, that is very true. And so really what this whole thing is about is God has taken two very different people and over the years sanctified us in ways that I have become more like Mark and he has become more like me. And so hopefully... He's less anxious and able to enjoy things, and I am less reactive and able to just let things happen. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's mine. All right. So, thinking about your spiritual walk with the Lord, let me ask you a couple questions. This is simple, but you got to answer honestly. Are you actively and uniquely praying for your spouse? Actively means ongoing, but uniquely, are you entered into his or her life in such a way that you know specifically those areas to pray? 
It's easy just to pray, Lord, bless Lisa today. That's fine and it's better than nothing. But I can do a little bit better than that as her husband. I need to know specifically what are those areas. So are you actively and uniquely praying for that? Uh, One of the things that I do is that uh, at, at the beginning of every year, is I create a prayer list for everyone in our family and different things that I'm praying for that year. And if, if, if I'm doing well that year, I choose a new verse of scripture that I will pray for Lisa that year that I just feel like matches where she is in her season of life. Whatever that may be, in the early days of motherhood, that, that's what I would pray for. Where it is now, and we're kind of in a transitional part of life, it's been different. But that you can uniquely pray for your wife on an ongoing daily basis that you know her well enough, you know him well enough. All right. Secondly, this is difficult, but it's got to be addressed. As a sinner, please be honest about your sin inside of your household. You've got to you've got to be honest here. It's impossible for us not to sin. First John makes that very 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 clear. If you say that you don't have sin, you make God to be a liar. So therefore, by definition, you're going to sin against those people who are around you. The Lord's prayer says you've. As the Lord would would, uh, forgive you the way that you've sinned against other people, the way they've sinned against you. So therefore, it only makes sense that we sin against those people with whom we are closest. Therefore, by definition, I've sinned against Lisa more than anybody else on the face of the earth. And if we continue to live, I'll continue to sin against her more than anyone else. It's just reality. This is why it requires God's grace. Again, by definition, she should hate me. I've sinned against her more than anybody. I'm completely dependent upon God's grace for my relationship with the Lord and for our relationship with each other. We have to do that. It's amazing to me in my ministry the number of men and women who I've heard say that their spouses have never apologized for anything in 20 years. And I think about that, and it's like, I mean, it's a joke. You've never apologized for anything today? Like, we we sin all the time. There's got to be an ethos in our home where it's normative, where we admit our sin, we confess our sin, we apologize, and we celebrate forgiveness. You know, you think about the liturgy of our worship services. And every single week, we have a time of confession, a time of repentance, a time that we're assured that we're forgiven, and then a time of celebration afterwards. We should do the exact same thing inside of our marriages. Not once a decade. No, daily, where there's just an ethos of that. So marriage is directly connected to our spiritual lives because people are connected to each other. All right. Uh, You may. Okay, so I just want to say one of the areas that we have found where we are able to do this the most with the best quality time is early in the morning, we get up, and Mark has his chair, I have my chair, I do my Bible thing, he does his, he's a little more structured than I am, but growing up, I was not a morning person. I I was like late evening, loved the nighttime, could sleep until whenever, and slowly after all these 20 plus years, I have become a morning person. And that is the sweetest, most rich time because I get to spend time alone with the Lord. But then also in doing this, as Mark is spending time with the Lord and I'm spending time with the Lord, things will come up that we do need to confess to each other or we do need to discuss or we do need to work out an issue. And that has become our sweetest time in the morning for working on our marriage or anything that's going on. It's that early morning time, about an hour before the kids get up. And so, you know, I'm doing this, but... 
I am doing the Keller Wisdom right now. Last year, Macy gave me Psalms. This year, she gave me Wisdom. So I read it every morning, and I pray and think through and write it. So he knew that I would be writing in it. So the day he got back from Mexico, he had written this sweet little note to me of all of the things that he was thinking for and praying for me while he was in Mexico. So when I opened my little journal to start writing in it, it was in there for me. And so there is nothing that a wife loves more than to know my husband has missed me, he loves me, and he's praying for me. And so it's little things like that that have just meant the world because it's taking the spiritual and the communication and the intimacy and it's all coming together. All right, so number one, spiritual. Number two, uh, marriage is relational, requiring selflessness. Selflessness. All right, this was huge for me. When Lisa and I were engaged, we went to this family life marriage conference. Nate and Cynthia told us to go, so we went. And the very first thing that was taught to us, imagine big room, five or 600 people. And the speaker said that the natural, cor- the natural course of all relationships is to move apart. And that's also true in your marriage. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh. The reality is, if I don't do anything for my marriage, it doesn't just stay as it is. It's constantly getting the worse and moving the wrong direction. All relationships are, are fluid. They're moving. And in your marriage, it will always move the wrong direction unless you're doing something relationally to bring it in the right direction. So therefore, you have to initiate with your spouse. If you have a best friend and you have little communication for a long period of time and then you get together, it's going to take a while to reconnect just because you haven't spent time together. The exact same thing is true in marriage. You think about it. In our walk with the Lord, we practice the means of grace. Worship, prayer, scripture, fellowship, sacrament. If you ignore all of those for a year and then just come back to church, it'll be good to be there, but it's not going to be the exact same because if you ignore the Lord for a year... Well, the same is true in our walk with our spouse. The ongoing problem, though, is that we have to be honest about we all are selfish. It gets fleshed out differently, but it's who we are. We are selfish people. Gary Smalley said in that that little book that, that I love, he said that in all of his years of marriage counseling, he estimates that after two years of marriage, most conflicts, he said 90% of conflicts will arise as a result of the husband's selfishness. So he gives the wife a couple years. <laughs> and after that, 90% of the time, it's just related to, to men's selfishness. When you think about David's sin with Bathsheba of adultery, but what was going on in his heart, he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do, whenever he wanted to do it. That's who we are. That is our sin nature, and it affects our relationships. Uh, when our oldest daughter, Macy, was five or six years old, so this would have been what, 15, 16 years ago, we were at a soccer game right out here at, at TCPC's soccer field. So we would have had, Sarah would have been a, uh, one or two, Keaton was maybe a baby, and we were at a soccer game, and it was Saturday morning, like at 10.30 in the morning, and I wanted it to hurry up and be over so that I could go home and watch college game day. And, and it didn't. It, it, it continued through college game day. This is probably pre-DVR days, whatever. But Tennessee was playing football, and it, it messed up my day. And I just remember thinking, hey, I I don't want any more Saturdays to be like this. And it struck me, oh, wait a minute. This is our first child. There are two more. One's a baby. They're all going to have Saturday morning stuff. I'm never going to watch college game day again. (laughs) 
and for that, it, it's like it landed on me all at once. And you know what? I really haven't. <laughs> like 15 years later, but from a selfish heart, it's just like, I, I just want my life the way I want to live it all the time. Clearly you have something to <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I vividly remember that morning and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how could you want to go home and watch the stupid commentators about football when we have one kid out there playing and two rolling around like heathen children and you just, all you're thinking about is football. So my joke has been and um, that the Lord has graciously allowed him to be in Lexington, Kentucky all of these years because he's not feeding that idol by letting him be in Knoxville. And... Um, <laughs> Don't clap. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to... Do you want to say this or do you want me to say this? I'll say it. Oh, okay. So right. this is All right, to so, that idol a little bit. Uh, later that year, uh, Tennessee won the East in football. So it's been a decade ago. Uh, <laughs> but, but the game that night, Tennessee was playing against Auburn. Lisa and all the kids were decked out in orange. And, I, and Lisa's born... I mean, she... She is a Kentucky girl, through and through. Uh, her parents' home, when you raise a toilet seat, it says, Go to hell, Tennessee. Uh, so so that, that's a family I married into. Uh, so for her, you know, during December to be decked out in Tennessee stuff, I just remember it was a, you laugh, but it was very selfless on her part to enter into my world. And I will always remember it. Tennessee may never play that game again, but for that one day, it was a day that Lisa did so enter into my world. What's interesting about that is he knows the game, who they played, when it was, all that. All I know is I just put everybody in orange because I thought that would make him happy. But I don't remember anything else about the details. It did make me happy. All right. So how do you act selflessly? First thing I would simply say is you have to be dedicated to becoming a student of your spouse. Not of yourself. You already know yourself pretty well. But you got to be committed to learning about your spouse. A student is someone who is a learner, who asks questions, who is consumed with the other person. As our husband, Jesus knows all of our needs. He knows all of our wants. He knows everything. Therefore, as we become more Christ-like, our eyes are less upon ourselves and more upon others. And our spouse is first. You know, uh, Sandy missed... Uh, uh, mentioned the classic five love languages, that book. If, if you haven't read it, you, you have to. Gary Chapman. It, 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 is, it is great. Uh, but the whole heart of that book is we think people want to receive love the same way that we want to receive love. And when you read the book, you realize, oh, the purpose is, no, you've got to learn what the other person wants and needs and enjoys. So the whole trick is I, I enjoy getting gifts. That's what I want. So our first year of Christmas, I bought Lisa tons of gifts. She honestly was nice about it, but she could have cared less. Because her love language is acts of service. Last week, our kitchen disposal was broken. Miraculously, I learned how to fix it. Uh, I just hit the romance button when I fixed the kitchen disposal. <laughs> I literally ran into the kitchen when I heard it come on. I jumped at him, gave him a kiss, and I'm like, you don't understand, that might be the greatest moment of our marriage. <laughs> Thank you. But what I've had to learn is that she wants me to serve her in that way. I just want gifts. That's it. Um, 
So question, have you learned something new about your spouse recently? Have you taken the time to ask open-ended questions and then created the space to listen to their dreams about what the next year could look like, what the next year could be like, what it is that he or she enjoys or want to do? Men, you don't have at your disposal the excuse that you are not creative. It's just not an option for you. You're made in God's image and he created the world. That means you have some creativity inside of you. So if you just say, I'm not that creative, it's lazy. That's all it is. If you have God's spirit inside of you and he created the world, you can come up with some clever ideas. And on the other hand, don't tell me that your spouse is not interesting. God doesn't leave that as an option either. He may act like a bump on a log, but actually... There's something really important and special there. All of us, as image bearers of God, we're deeply interesting. There's something beautiful. There's mysterious, uh, majestic, and romantic inside of him or her. Even if you haven't seen it in years, it's there. Because we are made in God's image. It's our job to figure that out. Uh, There's a country music song uh, by Rascal Flatts. And we we are country music people in our household, but I don't care for Rascal Flatts. But... This song was helpful. Are you, all right. Lisa's not going to sing it. <laughs> but. Look, sorry. Obviously, if you knew me, you would not tell me to sing it. Um, what he doesn't know is it's written also by Kenny Chesney, which is a fellow Tennessean that he loves. So that's probably why he likes the song. He didn't know it. And it says, there's a place in your heart nobody's been. Take me there. There are things nobody knows, not even your friends. Take me there. Tell me about your mama, your daddy, your hometown. Show me around. I want to see it all. Don't leave anything out. Your first real kiss, your first true love. When you were scared, show me. You learned about life, spent your summer nights without a care. I want to roll down Main Street, the back roads, like you did when you were a kid. What made you who you are? Tell me your story. I want to know everything about you. Take me there. There you go. Uh, Rascal Flats, if you enjoy country music. So that's the point, though. Are you willing to enter into someone else's story because you're fascinated and you want to hear everything about him or her? Uh, Now, this may sound like fun for some of you, and I hope that you'll enjoy having those conversations. But for others, you very well may be at a point where you haven't had a good conversation with your spouse in forever. And this scares the life out of you. Uh, There's an author named Ted Cunningham, uh, and he writes that uh, oftentimes when you're stuck in your marriage and you're really at a breaking point... It's where you find yourself that you blame your spouse for everything, that you've lost all interest in the other person. You're questioning if you married the right person. Your heart is closed toward improvement. Uh, You're pondering divorce, that sort of thing. I'll just say that if both spouses are willing to enter into the fray, there is hope. There's hope. So I don't know where you are this morning. Just know. If you're sitting here and your spouse is willing to enter into the mess, no matter where you've been or what's going on now, there is hope for you. Christ leaves that option always open. Um, Last thing with this, and this is a good exercise, and and we have done it often. Uh, If you've been married for a week or if you've been married for 50 years, you and your spouse do have a common enemy. And that person is not each other. Ephesians chapter 5 tells you everything about marriage. Ephesians chapter 6 tells you everything about the devil. He is your enemy. 
Uh, he cannot absolutely destroy you, but he can do some damage along the way. So therefore, who is not your enemy is your spouse. So take two seconds, and if your spouse is sitting right beside you, look him or her in the eye and say, you're not my enemy. You're not my enemy. Uh, it's a powerful thing, and it's a scary thing, because for some of you right now, you actually think that person is your enemy. But it's not true. You have an enemy, but it's not each other. Uh, so do this multiple times a day if you need to for a long time. So first, marriage is connected to our spiritual lives. It requires God's grace. Secondly, marriage is relational, and it requires selflessness. Thirdly, marriage is a new creation, and it requires us to enjoy our new life. And this is a big one. Uh, This has primarily been... uh, a huge part of what I do in premarital counseling, but this is related to our parents and how our relationship with them has been affected after you get married. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Some of you all know this well. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, everything has become new. The same thing happens when you get married. Everything becomes new. When you take your marriage vows, a new creation has happened. So please hear me. One of the goals of your marriage should be to enjoy your new relationship with your parents. And let me say that again. Your new relationship with your parents. It's not the same relationship with your parents. You want to be able to enjoy your in-laws and your parents, but you've got to follow some biblical principles in order to do that, or this can be a nightmare. And I've seen it. I've Nobody's taping this. I've been part of this. Uh, All right. There's a fascinating passage in Scripture. Sandy read it the other night. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Does anybody know where that passage is found? It's a trick question. It's Genesis chapter 2. That is before sin entered the world. It comes from Matthew and it comes from Mark. And then Paul uses it again in Ephesians chapter 5, the same passage. Therefore, it must be pretty important of four different authors before sin, before Christ, during Christ, and then after Christ, the same thing gets repeated. So we have to think about what does it mean to leave our mothers and fathers, cleave with our wives. Um, uh, Wayne Mack in his book calls this God's blueprint for marriage. And so much of what I do in premarital counseling comes from Mack's book. Uh, Let me think about each of these words here out loud. First, leave. What does it mean to leave? Uh, Here's what it does not mean. Leaving your mother and father does not mean to abandon them. That's not what we're talking about. So don't, don't go to extremes here when you hear the word leave. It's not that. Secondly, leaving does not mean that you have to move geographically far away from them. Sometimes that might be helpful, but that's not what it means. It's not required. Let me give you a few things that leaving does mean. And Lisa and I did not know any of this when we got married. I mean none of this. Uh, Number one, that your new relationship with your parents must be radically changed. And I mean radically. As a starting point, let that be established. If you use a unity candle in your wedding ceremony, chances are, like most people, they don't really pay attention to what it means. But it actually symbolizes something important. 
And your mother-in-law blew that candle out. I bet she wasn't thinking, whoa, what did I just blow out? Oh, my relationship with my son. Um, (laughs) Secondly, here's what it means. This is big. It means that you are now significantly more concerned with your spouse's ideas, opinions, and practices than you are with your parents. Your parents are great, wonderful, love them, but you're more concerned about what your spouse thinks than them. Let that sink in because it is huge. Leaving means that you are no longer dependent upon your parents for approval. You're free. You now have someone that you care about, but it's not your parents. Again, you're free now to love your parents, but we have to wrestle with what does it mean to leave? Uh, Leaving means that you are not about changing your spouse to become what your parents want him or her to be. That's never it. He is free to be whomever God has made him to be, whether your parents like that or not. And leaving, this conference uh, could be, well, this could be its own conference. uh, And this may require a lot of counseling, ongoing counseling, and that is okay. But if you are living with ongoing pain, ongoing shame, ongoing hurt, so that you're consumed with your parents, even if they're no longer living, you haven't left. You're still there, 30 years removed. But if it's still going on, It's still there. So leaving means that you can think of your parents through the lens of the gospel. No matter their hurt, no matter their pain, no matter the abuse, whatever that may be, leaving means that you can now see them as Christ sees them. So simply put, leaving means the husband-wife relationship is now the primary human relationship. The Lord is above all, but then on earth, it's husband-wife together. More than mother-daughter, more than father-son, it's husband-wife. And that's what leaving is all about. Again, I think it's similar to coming to Christ. It's our old way of life is replaced with our whole new way of life, and we enter into a whole new relationship. So when I do this in premarital counseling, and I've probably done that with some of y'all, I usually just kind of list all that stuff out and then throw the question out there of, where do you think this might be a problem? And then let the fireworks start going. Because we all got it. We all have it. Um, I have seen 60-year-olds live in fear of what their mother thinks. And it crushes their wife or their husband. I've seen young wives care much more about what their mother wants than what her husband wants. And it crushes him. It's not how God designed him. Um, On my way down to Mexico a couple weeks ago, I watched a movie. uh, It's a new HBO movie about the life of Bernie Madoff. Uh, It's called uh, The Wizard of Lies. If you haven't seen it, it's a great, incredible movie. But there's one scene where Bernie Madoff, as a father, tells his adult son what to order at dinner. And the daughter-in-law was there. He wanted steak, but Bernie Madoff said, no, no, you're getting lobster. And the look on the wife's face was, you're treating him like a little boy. He's a man. And the man needs to be the man in that case. And he needs to stand up to his dad. Whatever that may be. But just understand, when you leave, you are now your own creation. Husband and wife, that is the primary relationship. Um, Man, one of the worst things that can happen is for your wife to lose respect for you. 
it's not a sin that you can just confess, repent, and it be over. Losing respect means that there's been a pattern for a long period of time, and you can't just snap your finger and cause it to come back. And if you won't stand up to your parents, or if she won't, whatever the case may be, there can be a lack of respect, and it is dangerous. Um, Anything you want to add to that? Well, unfortunately, is it not working out? This is probably the area that I think we struggled with the most, probably primarily me, because I had never seen this modeled, had no idea. I knew the verse. I knew the scripture. It sounded great. Leave and cleave. Oh, I love that. But I grew up in a home where my parents were divorced when I was nine. My mom went back to work. She got another degree. I kind of became the caretaker for my two younger siblings, but I also kind of became her pseudo-spouse emotionally, supporting, everything. I was her everything because she was a victim and she needed somebody to kind of help her along in this life. So I became that. So for years and years and years, I was her emotional everything. So then when I met and married Mark, I kind of brought all of that into marriage and I wasn't sure, well, how do I help meet his emotional needs, but I'm still carrying all these emotional needs. And so she would call three, four times a day when I was in college. And then when she would get married, we'd talk on the phone every day. And Mark vividly remembers she would call about 10 o'clock every night. I mean, it just, she still needed me desperately. And I didn't know how to lovingly not meet her emotional needs. But yet what the victim was making me a victim. And I was becoming a victim to trying to meet all of her needs. And so this is the area that I feel like it has taken years of talking to other people, going to counselors, reading books, and realizing it's not healthy for me, it's not healthy for my marriage, and it's certainly not healthy for my children. And so that's probably been the one area is actually leaving and cleaving that has taken so long. And, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of things in this world. You bring your dysfunction into your marriage, and you have to figure out a way, Lord, you've got to break this down and build it back up the right way. Yeah. That, that, that was hard. And again, we, did, we had no idea what that looked like. Um, but, all right, so if your parents don't hold this biblical worldview of marriage, and I assure you, most of the people that I've counseled, their parents do not, then this is going to get tricky, even if they're Christians. Because if they've never thought this way about marriage then chances are this is going to be very, very difficult. And you've got to have good conversations about it. Uh, They very well may want to plan your life for you. Uh, I don't know if that rings true for anyone or not. So now, but this gets into the parenting seminar. Many of you are parents. So just as you leave your parents, well, guess what? You're training your children also to someday leave. So you, you can't do this just in one direction. You can't say, yeah, I want to leave my parents, but I'm going to hold on to my own children. No, 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 no. Your goal is to raise them up and send them out. The families that I've seen that have healthy, fun, enjoyable relationships with their children and adult children, especially their adult children, is where there is freedom to come and go, where it's not guilt-based, where it's not motivated by something other than love and enjoyment. When you see a family like that, it really is a wonderful, special thing. That they enjoy being together because they're allowed to. You're a new creation. You can spend Thanksgiving anywhere you want to spend it. As long as husband and wife are in agreement about it. 
All right. Enjoy the freedom of next Thanksgiving. You all decide where you want to go. You're not under guilt. I hope you go back home and enjoy that. But it's because you made the decision to do so. All right. We can talk more later. That is uh, leaving. So holding fast, cleaving. Here's what it means. To hold fast means that, that you hold on no matter what circumstances come in life. And they will come out of nowhere and they will be varied. And you continue to hold fast. You cleave. You hold on to. You hold fast as life changes, no matter what. But then lastly, that you recognize that marriage was not a matter of chance. But that you entered into this covenant. You made a choice. Nobody made you. You made this decision. And now it's not a matter of convenience. It is a promise. And you go through with that. So ultimately, marriage is by faith. I told you, Nate was my counselor. He said, just like every single thing in the Christian life, it's going to be by faith. Marriage is no different. You enter into marriage by faith. You can't control what will happen to your spouse. Your spouse may leave the faith, and you've got to enter into some really dark days. You've got to deal with that. It's always going to be by faith. All right, final thing here is, from the passage, you leave, you cleave, you become one flesh. What does one flesh mean? Does it mean sex? Yes, of course it means sex. But what does sex mean? What's it actually revealing? It means that two people give themselves completely and wholly to each other. Sex is about two people sharing everything together. It's a total commitment to a total person for the rest of your life. Never, ever, ever say that marriage is a 50-50 proposition. It's never that. It's always 100-100. That's what this is about. So that way you think of your marriage, you are the home team. Your home team, you two together. It is the primary relationship on earth. All right, one, one other quick thing I'll simply say though. Scripture does not tell you to cleave to your children. Scripture says to cleave to your spouse. You raise your children, you love your children, you delight in your children. You primarily, you teach them and train them to love God and love his kingdom. But you don't cleave to them. You send them out. All right. Uh, we're almost out of time, but let me do these last two quickly. Um, number four, marriage is financial and it requires teamwork. Uh, again, we could spend a whole conference on this subject, but without question, the number one source of issues and struggle inside of marriage is money. It is financial. Um, you, so we can't do a marriage seminar and talk about this a little bit, um, what I, and I'll, I'll boil this down to two quick things. Um, first, you have to be honest inside of your marriage. Some of you all live on a budget. Some of you don't need to live on a budget. Some of you don't have enough money to even budget. You're all over the place. You've got to be honest with each other about where you are. In most marriages, there's one person who handles the money. The other person doesn't know much about it. That doesn't work. Not really. What you want with marriage is so that you're so much on the home team that you can celebrate together. Uh, that starts with being honesty, uh, being honest. Men, women, if you've got debt that your spouse doesn't know about, come clean this afternoon. If you've got spending patterns that your spouse doesn't know about, deal with that and be honest. If you've got whatever going on, everybody has to be together all the time. The whole point of marriage is that you enjoy the relationship together. Satan will use money to mess things up like crazy. Your spouse can live with your mistakes. They can't live with you lying. You bring it all together, and we can have a good road going forward. You can't if you're lying. Uh, second thing, 
inside of the money world, uh, figure out something where you have a common goal. That might be living on a budget. It might be following Dave Ramsey stuff and paying off debt. It might be a savings goal. It might be a retirement goal. It may be, if you're in the season of life, it might be a giving goal. But in some way, you two come up with a goal together and work on it together so that when the goal is attained, you can celebrate together. You want money to be the kind of thing that you don't think about unless you're celebrating at the end of it. Um, Marshall Wemhoff and I have come up with a new budget plan. Some of you all have followed it. Uh, We are in the stage of life where we still live on a budget. I can tell you more about it, but we live on a weekly budget in our household now. And what happens with that is at the end of the week, we get to celebrate if we've done well. It doesn't really matter what the financial aspect is, but you need something that you can talk about, be on the home team together, and then celebrate at the end. If it's a dollar figure that you're saving for, great. If it's a debt you're trying to, say, pay off, great. If it's paying off your mortgage, whatever, have some common goal. It doesn't matter what it is, but then you celebrate together. Um, And I know you have something to say there. Yes, this is another area that we've grown a lot over the years. When Mark and I were first married, the first fall, I don't know if I opened it or figured out, but a credit card bill came, and I am a saver. He is a spender. And I opened up the credit card, and I was just horrified. It was, do you care if I tell them out? $1,200. It was $1,200. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we do not have that. Where is this from? I was like, we have not been spending crazy. What is going on with this? And he said, well, the whole time when we met and were dating, he was taking me out on his credit card. So... (laughs) It worked. (laughs) So we literally wined and dined over $1,000, and we didn't even drink then. So there was no wine. It was just food. And... um. We slowly paid that off, and over the years, we have really come to where I'm a little bit more happy of a spender, and he's a little bit more reining it in, which is the way we've come together. So now we're able to celebrate. When we bought our house five years ago, the kitchen was horrific, but we knew we can't do a whole kitchen remodel. So what we've done is every year we plan, what is the one thing that we can accomplish together and afford to do? So the first year, paint. We just tore off, picked the wallpaper off, and we painted it. Then the next year, we put all new black knobs, and you would have thought it was glorious to get rid of the brass and the white to put black knobs. The next year, we did the countertops. The next year, we did the black splash. This year, he's trying to decide, do I learn to tile the floor, or do do I, what was, or paint the cabinets. So now, we are so excited. We look at that kitchen, and it is not like, oh my gosh, we are in debt up to our eyeballs because we redid this kitchen. It's, look what we did. Every year, we can see and be excited about what we've accomplished together using our money. Thank you. Um, All right. But really, a common goal, whatever it is, it's good. Last thing I'm going to share, and then we are out of time. Uh, Number five, and that is um, marriage continues, so have a vision. Uh, Here's my homework assignment for you. Sometime this week, and for some of you, add numbers to this. Uh, plan your 50th anniversary party. Seriously. Sit down over dinner and plan it. What you want your life to be about over whether it's the next year or the next 49 years. Plan it. 
Then is think about what are the type of friendships we want to have? What are the things that we want to do? What are the stories that we want to have? It means the, the bus is pointed in the right direction, that you're on the same page together. Uh, we did this kind of a couple of years ago, and it was interesting just to have the dialogue of what do we want to see happen over the, over the course of the decades. Again, we're totally dependent upon God's grace. He hasn't promised that it's going to happen, but it gives you something to think about for the future. Um, uh, marriage continues, so have a vision. So do that. All right, we are out of time, but please do me a favor. Rip out a sheet of paper and jot down a question and then put it in the box at the back. Tomorrow during Sunday school, we will be talking about these. All right, let me pray and ask that the Lord will bless your marriage. And then Will and Danielle are up next. Oh, Father, build strong homes. In the bluegrass. Only you can do that. We can't in our own strength. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.